Hello, and welcome to another episode of You Can Manage That, a podcast for first-time managers who want to level up their leadership skills. I'm your host, Chris Asper, and if you're a first-time manager who is struggling right now to implement new ideas or changes in the workplace, which, by the way, happens often, then this episode is for you. My guest today is Kim Fletcher. Kim is the dynamic leader who is spearheading the marketing and communication strategy at Diabetes Canada. With a keen focus on brand building, communication, and digital marketing, Kim and her team are driving awareness, advocacy, and fundraising efforts to combat the impact of diabetes. With over 30 years of experience in brand management, product marketing, fundraising, and customer experience, Kim has honed her skills at leading organizations such as Procter & Gamble, Microsoft, and KPMG. She has also worked extensively in the nonprofit sector, serving on the boards of several charitable organizations over the last two decades. She holds professional designations in marketing, lean, agile, and project management, in addition to business degrees from Laurier and Schulich School of Business. A member of the CMA, the Canadian Marketing Association and Not-for-Profit Council, Kim is also a frequent judge for the annual Canadian Marketing Awards. When she's not driving impact through her work, she is a proud mom of two children and is currently on the lookout for a pet. And just a note, I used to be at World Vision, work there, and Kim worked there, and I had the pleasure of meeting Kim. And although I wasn't under her supervision, I held her in high esteem as one of the most impressive leaders. She's intelligent, sharp, and she's committed to her values, and that impressed me. And I wanted to have her on my show in the first season, but unfortunately, due to scheduling conflicts, that didn't happen. So I'm pleased to say that today she's available for an interview. So Kim, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I have been uh, delighted by your podcast and enjoyed them personally and professionally. And I've always enjoyed uh, your enthusiasm and passion when it comes to professional development. And when you told me you were launching a podcast for your demographic and your target audience, I thought, perfect because there's such a gap of resources in my years of working for new managers. And so often companies want to do new manager training, but other priorities get into the way. So aspiring staff who are becoming new managers, want to become new managers, have very little resources besides the coaching they get from their direct managers or left to their own devices to take some courses. So it's great that they can journey along with you and and all the people that you're interviewing. Well, thanks, Kim. That's really nice of you to say that. Uh, That means a lot to me, Uh, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be easy on you in the interview. So let's begin with the first question. What is leadership? It is a complex question, and I think it varies for everyone. So I think one of the things that I want to talk about is kind of a mental model. And as you're developing in your career path, I think it's important for everyone to define what is leadership to them personally, aligned with their values and their expectations and who they see themselves in their authentic workplace becoming. And that does change over time. But if I was to say the attributes of a good leader, for me, I think they are what I try and hold myself accountable is to inspire those around them to positively influence others towards a common cause or purpose or set of goals, to be inclusive, to make every voice be heard in an authentic and transparent way, and to have impact. At the end of the day, you know, we are at work, and as much as we want to enjoy it and have fun, and we should, we want to move these organizations forward. So we want to make sure that we're having impact. So inspire, influence, be inclusive, and to have impact. Awesome. You've come up with a simplified model called the five C's of navigating change. Why did you create this model? 
There are so many books and resources that you can get into. And one of the things I've always encouraged new leaders and people starting out in their career is to view all of that as a smorgasbord. And what are you going to take off that and put into your own personal toolkit? And so I thought a simple one, very easy to navigate. It's a, I'm not sure if you're familiar with mental models. They're a thought process on how something works in the world. So this is a thought process on how to manage and actually sometimes navigate or create change in the workplace. And it's five C's. And it's really to help you in all situations, just do a quick check on how you can be your best self as a leader as you either propel change forward or you respond to change. Okay, cool. Kim, what were the five C's of navigating change and creating change as a leader? Sure, the five C's are a simple and easy mental model to aid to your learning journey. They include curious, mindset, capacity check, capabilities check, confidence at your core, and compassion. So if you think of yourself as a person and you kind of map the five C's, it'll help just remember. One is to have at the head is to have a curiosity mindset. And it's particularly helpful when you're new or when change is at hand. And a curiosity mindset is really ask lots of questions. Learn about the organization, a team's culture, what's worked, what hasn't worked. And as you're asking questions, ask what questions. If you were to take one thing away from this podcast that I'm saying, that would be one of the the most important things is we often move to why questions. Why did you do that? Why questions often put people in a position of feeling defensive, that they're being challenged. What questions actually engages them in a safe space where you can learn? So Chris, if I was asked you what led you to start this podcast, and then I was to ask you, how has that experience been for you? And then what advice would you give to start other podcasts? Your mind would start to think, I have lots that I can contribute to that. You know, what led me? I can tell you. How has it been? I can share that. And what advice would you give? You're like, oh, I've got a bunch of lessons. And I would hope that that would is creating a mutually safe space for you to feel valued. And that's really important in a curiosity mindset is that person feels participative in that conversation. So curiosity is a big one. So start with asking a lot of questions and lead with what questions. And if I were to say that's one thing that I've not done really well over my career, because my training was in sort of analytical or process thinking, and I asked why questions. I tend to ask why questions and someone can kind of feel like, well, I feel like I'm being interviewed and it's just my brain unpacking. But when I pivoted to what questions, I found people were more relaxed and shared just as much information that felt really good at the end of my my conversation with them as opposed to feeling grilled. So Mm. ask what questions. And then really importantly, in you sort of say ask a lot of questions is you also have to then listen to understand. So you have to kind of step back and not be thinking of your next question, but really just listening with that person and journeying with them as they share their information and their advice. And then the third thing of a curious mindset is to observe. You know, it's not all about barraging people with questions and then listening. It's also reading the room. It's observing others in action. Um, If you're in a manufacturing context, then it's watching workflow processes. How do people interact with each other? So part of that curity mindset is, like I said, those three things. And it'll help you connect with information. It'll help you connect with where there may be opportunities in the organization. And it'll also let you see some opportunities for potential. 
because you'll realize, hey, that's something I think we can work on. That's something that I think is a gap in the organization. And as you're doing that, though, you're also making those personal connections. When you decide to sort of put your curiosity into action, then you already have some trust and those networks built out through that curiosity mindset. So just to review, the first C in your model is curious mindset, and it has three components. So I think the first one is asking lots of questions. The second one is is understanding and listening. And the third one is observing. So that was the first C. What's the second C? And what body part did you associate it with on your diagram? Again, simple to remember. Think of your two hands. Okay. And on one hand, you have a capacity check-in. And on the other hand, you have a capabilities check-in. Hmm. So if we think about capacity check-in, it's really recognizing, respecting that we all have physical and emotional limits. And these limits vary by person and at different times. And we need to recognize this in ourselves. What are our capacity limits? As a leader, even in a project leader, in teams, is what is the capacity limits in others? So we need to respect those differences. So for example, if you are in a sector that has a busy season, like accountants do, or you're facing a big project deadline, you likely have a lower or even no capacity level to take on extra work. So you need to recognize that in yourself and you need to recognize it in your team. That's really important for their mental well-being. However, if you're at a point in your life where you're new in your career and you're living at home, you might assess yourself to say, I have larger capacity limits, so I really want to take on a bigger project, or maybe I want to do my MBA part-time. And so recognize you have that capacity space right now and step into it and fill it up to the extent that you feel comfortable. On the flip side, you might be a new parent, or you might see one of your staff or a new parent, and you may talk with them and realize that they have a lower capacity right now. That could just be, they don't have as much time because they're, they're just tired. So how do you create space by maybe pushing out deadlines or really respecting their personal boundaries at that point in time? So assessing their capacity. You may have one of your staff that goes through a emotional or a health crisis. And again, their emotional capacity is really low. So taking them through a complex work project at that time may not be right. And now, Everyone's unique, so everybody needs to be assessed and you need to have open conversations with people. But accessing your team's capacity is really important on one hand. The other hand, Chris, is capabilities. And that really comes into four categories. What is your technical or your team's technical capabilities? What are their competencies? What is their business acumen? What's their sector knowledge? Because within capabilities check, you can actually create capacity if they need to learn a new skill. Mm. Or maybe they're new to the sector and they need some understanding of how that sector operates. And so balancing off your capacities and your capabilities will actually create a really high-performing team who isn't feeling burnt out. And that's something that's really important. Hmm. Uh, I think it's curious, today because I mean, like tech is cutting back and budgets are being cut. I guess the struggle is I want to grow capability, but I don't have any money to do so. So that might be tough. What have you found that works? And especially, you know, having been a nonprofit, what are some ways to grow capability on a tight budget? Yeah, very true today. And particularly with inflation being so high, everybody's looking at their budgets differently. The good news is, is post the pandemic, there is so much more content online. And so there's an opportunity to increase your technical skills through free webinars. 
there's an opportunity to take a professional development budget, be it very small, and simultaneously cast it to your entire team with the organization's permission to say, you know, instead of paying for everyone to attend a conference, we're actually going to watch it on webinar. The other is you could actually invite speakers to train your team over Zoom, which they might not have done before, but it's quite easy to book someone for an hour and then compensate them as a leader or in the not-for-profit center, I always ask for it free first. Uh, they can only say no, uh, and then maybe they'll even give me a discounted rate. So there's more opportunities now to get that technical training. The same for competencies. Competencies are often things like communication skills, or problem solving skills. And again, there's a lot more conferences online. There's also the universities, are their curriculums are much more online as well. So you can get some of that training in your capabilities toolbox a lot quicker and easier and less expensive now. We've talked about curiosity, capacity, capabilities. What are the other two C's in your model? Next is to be confident at your core. And that means to be confident in what you know, confident in what you don't know, and be open to learn what you don't know because you didn't know you needed to know it. And that's the, that's the trickiest one. And that's called the Jahari window. But be confident in what you know. And that is you've been successful at school, early in your career, either part-time or full-time, and you know that you're really good at things. You might have gotten a professional designation. You're good at that, so be confident in that and lean into those skills. Likewise, be confident in what you don't know. And as a new manager, if you're a new manager, that can be the area that can be the most tricky because you have potentially a sense that it's a pass or fail. If my manager finds out I don't know that, are they going to think less of me? And I can assure you in most organizations, in most leadership teams, we want our teams to be successful. So ask for advice and say, hey, you've asked me to write a business plan. I know what a business plan is, but I've never written one in this sector before or for you. Can you give me some examples that you, know, you think are done very well? Can you give me some coaching? Can I send you a couple of drafts? Normally, I wouldn't send it this early, but I'm learning because I don't know how to do that. And as you get confident in your core, people will extend you more and more trust. Your teams will trust you, but they'll also trust you in the sense that if the person starts to get lost a little bit, we trust that they're going to come back and ask for advice. And so that's really important that we do that. We don't want people to feel self-conscious. We want people to feel confident. And as you get more experience, your inner core confidence will grow up. The other thing is, is as you build lean into your core of confidence, you'll get better at assessing your team's capabilities and you'll get better and more confident in assessing people's competencies. And sometimes as we're starting out in new areas or in a new team, we may think that we're capable or we may think we're not capable. And our manager, that's you, can be confident to say, actually, I think you can do this. And we can reassure somebody. We can be confident. We can extend our confidence to them. Or we could see someone who sort of says, I think I know what I'm going to do. And you're thinking, mm, I'm not sure you exactly know what you're doing. So I'm just actually going to walk alongside you so that I can become as confident in you as you think you are in, you, in yourself. Mm -hmm. And so having confidence is your core is the fourth C. Kim, let me ask you a question because you're a very capable and confident person. What have you done or what do you think has helped you grow your own confidence? 
in, in all sincerity, I am the youngest of four and I have three older brothers. So they were faster than me and they were smarter than me. And if I didn't learn pretty quick, I was going to get left behind. And more importantly, I was going to have no food left on my dinner plate because they would tap my shoulder. And as I looked to one, because they were smarter than me, the other would take the chicken off my plate. So I had to learn to kind of stand up pretty quick for myself. So that probably <laughs> contributed <laughs> to it. But the other is I've actually been blessed with really good mentors. Right out of the bat, I had an ex-Olympian who was a dynamic leader, and she was just so good in building up my confidence to helping me in my capacity what do I actually enjoy? And to go do more of that. And she was also really good at giving me feedback on my capabilities. Mm -hmm. And so it was okay not to be capable in some areas because I was learning and growing and she really supported that. So fortunately, I've had great mentors and I had some brothers who kind of leaned into me and dragged me up uh, in my confidence level. Thank you for sharing that in terms of what can help improve someone's confidence. So we talked about curiosity, capacity, capabilities, confidence. What is your last C? The last C may sit in an unusual place, but let me explain that. And that's think of your feet as your compassion. Compassion encompasses everything like empathy and allyship. So, so why when we create this mental model, you know, curious mindset, capacity, capabilities, left and right hand, confidence core I can get, but why compassion at the feet? And I really think it's a great way to remember that compassion can include moving towards people. So moving towards people to help them do something, to show support, to show empathy, to create connections, to engage with them. So moving towards, but it's also moving aside. So one thing as a leader we wanna do is move aside to give the floor for others to shine, to show their capabilities. It also for compassion is to create space for others to think to reflect, sometimes to heal. We need to step back and give them some space. And then the other for compassion is to stand up and to stand with in allyship. And so that's the fifth C is really compassion. And it's really about engaging, moving closer, stepping aside, stepping back and stepping up with to support your teams in a way that's transparent and authentic in your personality, but authentic and transparent to the situation. I like that you included compassion and with the feet from what I've know about compassion is typically compassion is in the heart, but without the feet, nothing gets done. And so it's almost like it's compassion in action. Like you need an mm -hmm. action to, in order for you to, to demonstrate compassion. Great way to put it, Chris. I do find though, having been in corporate that there are not so many compassionate leaders. Why is that the case? Why? It sounds to me like compassion is difficult to develop. Do you agree with that or do you not agree with that? And if so, like what can someone do to develop more compassion? You know, I've bumped into so many compassionate people, but I think where I've seen it to your point and maybe that expression of compassion is often limited by time. And that's why I like to think of compassion as feet because it requires action. It requires you to put effort into it. And that's something that I think in a, a busy culture, often in our virtual culture now, that you know you don't create space and time for it. But in a virtual, we're, we're two-dimensional. So you don't have all of those communication skills of connecting with someone. You don't have the chance to walk along a corridor and see someone, or you see them on the phone and, and they seem upset and you drop by because we, we're like, 
in and we're out. So I would say that I agree with you. I don't think you see it as much as we can be expressing it, but I'm not sure it's a lack of people having or wanting to show the compassion. I think it's just creating that time. And that's really about the manager's mental model for change is you've got to create time to navigate the change. And so that intentionality is really important, Chris. So as a review, I've got curiosity, which is the mind, capacity, which is either right hand or left hand, capabilities, which is either, the, which is the other hand, confidence, which is your core, and then compassion, which is your feet. Of the five, which one would you say is the most challenging for emerging leaders, first-time managers to develop? I would say the balancing of capacity and capability. So let me give you an example of um, of a newly promoted manager that I worked with. And she was newly promoted, very capable herself. And she was promoted to a new team because the organization had some bigger growth expectations. So it was a trifecta, newly promoted, brand new team, and bigger expectations. And there was no new manager training program. And so she did a really good job of enlisting me as a, as a coach, enlisting another manager as a coach. She did all of those things to have a curious mindset. She was confident in what she could do. She knew the capacity and capabilities of the team, but it took a lot of more work than she anticipated. And so what she did is she assessed the capabilities of the team and said they can't do all of the expectations needed of them, but she was confident that she could. So she extended her personal capacity to compensate for the team because she was compassionate that she didn't want them working a lot of overtime. And the challenge she had is she burnt herself out. And so that's one of the things that I think as new managers that you you need to work on balancing is yes, you can fill in that capacity gap yourself for a very short period of time, but you have to create the space. And this is what she struggled with because she knew the team was busy to build up their capabilities so that they could journey along with her to the growth. And so that's one of the areas that, uh, you know, I would say to her, I say, I think you need to take them on some training. And she'd be like, well, they don't have time for it right now. And very true for a few weeks, but like a lot of companies that don't invest in new manager training, because there's always another priority, as a leader, you also have to create space for your team to make sure that they build the capabilities because you can't take it all on yourself. And at least her own capabilities too, of learning to delegate and learning to let things go, perhaps why she made up for the team's capability by working herself beyond her capacity. And that insight is right on point is delegation was one of the capabilities that she needed to flex more on. Awesome, great. So the first one I think is balancing capabilities and capacity. What else have you seen a lot of first-time managers, emerging leaders struggle with when it comes to these five Cs? Oh, I would say the second one is letting their curiosity wane. When there's a new situation, quite often people understand, I've got to learn things, I've got to become curious. But then over time, once they settle in, that curiosity just moves to execution. We've just got to get these things done. And again, when you do that, you don't become a continuous learner. And you can happen that things in the environment or in your sector or your industry or in your team kind of pass you by. And so you have to create that curiosity mindset on a going basis. It has to be a muscle that you start to really exercise on a really regular basis for yourself and for your team so that they continue to grow or they continue continue to train and expand. So that would be the second one is to really maintain that curious mindset. 
I think the struggle here, and often I find, is what holds people back with regards to their curiosity is, I'm a new manager. I got to prove that I know. And so there's this pressure, whether external or internal, to show that I'm worthy of this. And so I know the answers. And that goes against this idea of being curious and asking questions. So what advice do you have for anyone who's struggling with that to balance the need of proving themselves that they know things and being curious? And I think that's being confident in what you do know and confident in what you think you still need to learn. And then stepping into that to create an action plan to go learn it and bringing your manager in with you to say, here's my roadmap to go learn these things. And I want to check in with you to see how I'm doing. Again, lean into curious. How did you think I do? One of the things I do with my teams quite frequently is when we've had a big meeting, I will quickly call them and say, how do you think it went? And how do you think I, as their leader, did? Did I support you? Did I present the ideas right? How can I improve? Because I'm curious from their perspective how I did because they can mentor me as much as I can mentor them. And so that's something I think that you want as a new leader is to build that sense of confidence We all don't have the corner office on all knowledge. That's part of building a team. So the more that you can know what you're confident in on your capabilities, and if you do something like a strength finder test, you'll realize I'm really good in here and I'm I'm not as good here. And that may be a skill you never get good because people just naturally are innate in it. You may get better, but you want to bring someone else into your team who's really good in that and then ask them, say, hey, I'm working on this. How did I do? You know, how could I improve? And that will build your confidence up. I like that you linked confidence with curiosity. And and perhaps the reason why you're not confident, you'll probably won't be curious because you'll want to prove yourself. However, if you are confident that it's okay to ask questions and, and the things that you know and don't know, then perhaps you will be curious. And that's exactly why I started the mental models. Think of your physical body because you want to bring your whole self in. And so you want to bring your curiosity, you want to bring your confidence, your capabilities, your capacities, and your compassion. You want to link it all together and you want to bring it with you everywhere you go, particularly during change, so that you can be monitoring and assessing what are my strengths and what do I don't know and how do I get better and what are my, how am my team doing? So that authentic, transparent self really shows that interconnection of it. So you mentioned the word change. A lot of change is happening. What advice do you have overall for anyone who's experiencing a dramatic change at work? First, to recognize that everybody journeys change differently. I happen to love change. I find it energizing. But that's not for everyone. And so recognizing that right out of the gate is important because those who don't journey change as well, they find it draining and exhausting you want to create some more supports for those individuals. For those who enjoy change, like myself, you want to slow us down a bit because we're excited to navigate the new frontier. So balancing those two things is really important, having constant check-ins. If you don't navigate change and you know that about yourself, One of the things is to build up your resiliency to change because if I've learned anything over the past couple of decades that I've been working is change is continuous. The pandemic was exceptional amount of change, but organizations get bought out, departments get consolidated, 
new leaders come in. And as you said, you lose some of your colleagues who go on to the next chapter of their lives. So building up your own resiliency to change. And a lot of that has to, again, do your emotional check of your capacity. If you have a lot going on in your personal life, your resiliency to change may be a bit lower. And so being open to that with your manager or your HR business partner and saying, hey, this is a lot for me, having that transparency in those conversations, just letting someone know that it's a lot for you can be a big thing. Well, you said about change is true, that people experience change differently. And it could be a personality thing. It could be people's capacity for change could be things going on in that person's life. I think one of the struggles too, particularly with people who are very, or leaders who are very smart, driven, very highly capable, is that they want the change to happen fast. Change is happening tomorrow and let's not go through this messy middle. I want you know results right away. How do you learn to develop patience during that time? Mm. What I find is when you're smart and capable, you can change quickly, but other people may take longer to change. Yeah, I think one of the things to recognize that to do organizational change well, it does take time. You really have to think through implications. Uh, You need to get multiple persons involved for feedback. So the people who are instigating, leaders who are instigating change, they often have a greater exposure to it. And so they have to have patience that it, it may be months, maybe even a year till change is rolled out. So they also become very adjusted to the change because they've been living and thinking about it for a period of time. If you're at a different part in the organization, the change can feel very fast because when change often is executed, particularly if it's impacting people, when it goes into execution mode, we wanna be respectful of people and there's often kind of a run of show or a cadence to make sure people are told in the right sort of sequence so you don't find out something about someone in the wrong order before they found out. And so it can feel very fast. And so what you have to hopefully have built is a culture of trust where you're trusting those who are executing the changes have thought through some of the implications that they're making the best decisions they can. You want to assume they've had good intentions for the organizations and its purpose, and they want to be really respectful of those people being impacted. And so if you haven't built that culture of trust, it can feel, it can feel very bumpy, Chris, but hopefully you've built that, and then hopefully you can engage with those people afterwards. How do you use the word trust? How does your five C's of navigating change and creating change help to create that trust? A curious mindset can be really helpful in building those connections. And so you create a habit of conversation and over time, multiple layers of reciprocity step in of where others are now fostering curiosity to you. And they realize not only are you asking them what questions, but they know you're going to listen to them. And once you've listened to them, you're going to infuse that into their work plan. And in turn, you're going to encourage them to ask you questions and they'll realize that they need to listen to you as well. That's one step. Confidence. Confidence can be delivered in arrogance. It can be delivered in a wrong way. But if you're curious and you're getting feedback, that can easily be corrected. But if you have confidence in your leaders and your team has confidence in one another, you then know that you can trust them to pick up the work if your capacity is maybe low. They have a skill you don't have or they have more time. So that builds up trust. So curiosity creates this culture of communication. 
Confidence builds up this culture of, I trust my leader's going to execute on what they want. They're going to ask me if they don't know. And then leaning on your peers. But trust takes time and it can be easily broken. So you really have to continually be nurturing a trust culture. And at least one thing I want to add to that, perhaps compassion also helps because it creates that psychological safety and knowing that if I make a mistake, I'm not going to get fired, that the manager has my back. And Chris, it's interesting how often, and I know that there's reasons for this, that people jump to, I'm going to get fired. And quite often, if you look around the organization, that actually is not the case. That can be a very last resort, but it's it's not a, usually a surprise. Leaders now often have this kind of let's fail forward. Let's learn together, test and learn. Let's have compassion. Let's support each other. In some ways, turn that paradigm to if we, and I'll put in air quotes, fail, but Generally, it's a learning opportunity. It's what did we learn? How can we recover quicker? And how can we move on? Because if we don't ever challenge ourselves, we don't usually become innovative. So I love how you brought compassion because it's making sure as a peer, as a leader, as a manager, that you're standing up with your team so they don't feel they're just being left out to dry. And I think going back to your first C about curiosity, it's about being curious about failure versus being judgmental about failure. Yeah, and asking the question, what happens if we don't hit our objective? What's the consequence of that? And doing it in a curious way. And, and your leader, I'm sure, will answer you and say, well, you know, really, there isn't a consequence of this, but there's a consequence if we do this, because we've made, you know, in the charitable section, we've made commitments to help people. And so, you know, we just wouldn't be able to deliver as much money to that group of purposeful organizations or purposeful people that we're supporting. So there is a consequence. So we just want to be mindful of that. But that can be actually motivating as opposed to suffocating. Kim, I I love this conversation. I love talking to you. What is the one message that you want my audience of first-time managers to remember from this episode? Well, I said that the, the model, the mental model was to be an easy and simple one, the five C's. But the biggest thing I think will help individuals, and it's helped me, is to ask what questions over why questions, because I think that brings people into the conversation in a very valued way. Kim, thank you so much. Kim, what are you describe to the audience what you're up to these days and how they can connect with you? So I'm working with Diabetes Canada, as you've mentioned, and we are doing some really good work to help the almost 12 million people impacted by diabetes. So you can um, support our cause or a cause of your choice. It's really important that we as Canadians be philanthropic in our time, in our talents, in our treasures. And you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Kim's LinkedIn is going to be in the show notes. And also, as I want to mention, Kim said that she's not here to sell anything. She's actually here to give back and and to help out with my audience of first-time managers. So Kim, thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise with my audience today. Oh, my pleasure, Chris. You are a delight. I've always appreciated your enthusiasm, your emphasis on professional development. uh, And you've given me a lot to be mentored by you in terms of your expertise. So just so thankful that I have your podcast now. For those who didn't have the privilege of some of your training, which I benefited from um, in my past. Thank you for listening to You Can Manage That. For more information about Kim Fletcher, you can check out her LinkedIn. The link to that is in the show notes. If you'd like to support the organization that Kim works for, Diabetes Canada, you can also go to the link in the show notes. I'm Chris Asper. For more information about me, go to chrisasper.com. 
And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. Join us again next time when we talk with other leaders and experts so you can manage that. Bye for now.